Last week, we started a a study in the book of Romans, but we're taking an unorthodox approach to it. And there's a reason for that. I think you'll see why tonight, rather than beginning in chapter one, we're actually going to start at the end section of Romans. And we're going to get to see why he wrote the letter in the first place. And I think that will help us understand why he includes some of the hard material that's hard to understand uh, throughout the letter. So if you have a Bible uh, tonight, we are gonna be in Romans chapter 15 and 16. And uh, we're going to uh, begin with just an introduction tonight. Um, This particular study will disrupt your normal orientation. We're used to reading books from front to end, but the purpose of the book is not stated until the end of the book. And it seems as though uh, once we know what that purpose is, then it helps us to understand some of the material that leads up to that purpose statement. So if you have a Bible, turn open to Romans chapter 15 for a moment. And I want you to uh, come to verse 23 of Romans chapter 15. So chapter 16 is going to be full of greetings, and it's going to be filled with a lot of names that are difficult to pronounce, but they're there for a particular purpose. And the purpose, I think, is found in this paragraph. So in chapter 15, take a look at verse 23. It says, but now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. Now, that's interesting. At least... Uh, theoretically, uh, Paul could go to a number of other places throughout Asia Minor where he has established uh, uh, churches, but he's hit a lot of the major cosmopolitan areas, and he wants to move on, and as he writes this letter, he goes on, he says, uh, there's no more place for me to work in these regions, which is probably an overstatement, but He then says the real reason, since I have been longing for many years to visit you. So this church in Rome is not started by the Apostle Paul. He hears about the church. He wants to to go see what's happening and visit. But he's only stopping over for a short while because his ultimate aim is to get to Spain. Verse 24 I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through. So you get the idea that he's not going to camp there very long. He is basically going to just kind of visit them, assess what's going on, excuse me, what's going on, and then moves on. And he says, and to have um, you assist me on my journey there. So he reveals Another purpose, what he wants to do is get them on board and to have them financially help him to get on to Spain, which for him is the idea of the ends of the earth, at at least at this point. You move beyond the Roman Empire, you're moving into other territory. And then he says, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. 
They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jewish blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and, uh, the, that, and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So notice here the intention of going to Spain, um, and he wants to stop off in Rome. He wants to see what's going on there. He wants to solicit their prayer support and financial support. But then he tucks in another purpose here. He says, I'm going to come as soon as I travel to Jerusalem, and I'm taking a love offering to the poor uh, believers in Jerusalem. Hint, hint. Um, you can participate in this as well. And then he prays for safety there because um, there is some pushback and persecution in and around Judea by Jewish people against those who wandered away from Judaism. So um, you can see in this paragraph his plan and his purpose. And so he states this in such a way that he is going to uh, then greet a lot of the people that are in Rome already. And that's what chapter 16 is all about. So uh, the means to the end in this book is a bit unorthodox in the way it begins. So Romans, it seems when you look at it closely, is a distinction between the privileged and the powerful and to those that are disprivileged or disempowered. And we see that in the purpose paragraph, the poor saints, those that are struggling, that type of thing, and others getting in, uh, involved in that. So Romans, I think, we'll see as we look at different sections, is about privilege and power and how the gospel is going to deconstruct those systems within the Roman uh, 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 Empire. And, and there's a reason for that. And the reason for it is to unify both Jews and Gentiles because um, they didn't get along very well. There's a long history there. And so Romans begins, if we start here, with a lived out theology of peace and reconciliation between two different ethnic groups. When we read Romans from the beginning, we think it's about abstract theology or a system of theology. But that system of theology, if there is one here, uh, is to serve a greater purpose. And that's that community purpose of two very different groups of people that need to get along if the church in Rome is going to survive. Does that make sense to everybody? Do you have any questions there?
Okay, so now comes the, uh, the overall picture here. So if you take sections 12 through 16 of Romans, it reveals kind of the pastoral agenda of the Apostle Paul. He wants to unify these two groups of people, and he wants to unify a group of people that he calls strong and a group of people that he calls weak. That's in chapter 14. One of the things that he'll do is stress spiritual gifts in chapter 12 as a way of mutual service. And what we'll find is that tucked in the middle of this section is a strange chapter on everyone submitting to the governing authorities. So in chapters 12 through 16, there's kind of a pastoral purpose. Then you come to that strange section in chapters 9 through 11 that a lot of theologians call a parenthesis that Paul gets off on a rabbit trail, and he talks about the Jews being God's elect people. And then by the time you get to the end of chapter 11, he talks about a new people being grafted in to God's chosen people. Now, if this plays in tune with his pastoral purpose, one of the things that he might be doing is showing that at one time, one group of people was the primary means that God was using in the world to build his kingdom. But now he includes others people in that purpose as well. Then we come to chapters one through eight. And that's the big theological section of Romans. It begins with Paul basically humbling every person that's ever lived for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he really hits the Jews between the eyes because they might be a bit arrogant in feeling, Hey, we were God's chosen people. We have the law, that type of stuff. So what we find is in chapters one through eight, he's going to level everybody to introduce the idea that we have been saved by grace, that we have now this peace of God, uh, uh, and that we are to share this peace of God. So there's kind of a an aim here toward the end, and that's what we're going to look at here in chapter 16, which when you put your eyes to the text, you're going to go, well, I always skip over this when I read the Bible, but I want you to just kind of stay tuned in into it for a moment, because I think this helps us to understand the entire picture of, of what Paul is trying to do. So thoughts, questions, comments. So there's the unorthodox approach, chapters 12 through 16, chapters 9 through 11, and then chapters 1 through 8. It's kind of reading it backwards. But in Romans 12 through 16, there is an underlying observation that this is a community that needs to make peace with each other. Now, if you were to look at Ephesians 1 through 11, you would see that that's been God's plan all along to unite all things in heaven and earth under the banner of Christ. And if this is the case, the importance of God's people being at peace with each other is at the, at, at the forefront here, because what we find is 
that the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along very well. You read the book of Acts, you'll see that there's resistance toward allowing Gentiles to come in to a primary, primarily Jewish church as it begins on the day of Pentecost. So there's a council that we call the Council of Jerusalem uh, in Acts chapter 15 that deals with this topic so that when Paul and Silas and Timothy and others go into Gentile territory on their missionary journeys, uh, they can do so with full confidence and backing of the Jerusalem church that uh, Gentiles are welcomed in. So does that make sense to everybody? So some of the first century converts in the Roman Empire to Christianity were Jewish. So think about the day of Pentecost for a moment. When the Holy Spirit is given, they disperse. Remember the gift of tongues allows others that are gathered in Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost to hear the good news in their own language. Now they will go back to where they came from. So think of it this way. When the Jewish people went into captivity to Babylon, Assyria, they were continued to be conquered by Medo-Persia and Greece and now Rome. Many people fled and, they, and, and those that fled are called the diaspora and they are scattered beyond that uh, area in, in and around the Mesopotamia and they will go to other parts of the world. So what we see is that Jews, even, even today, are scattered throughout the world. I mean, all you got to do is rewind uh, several decades. There's a large uh, Jewish population in Poland. There was in Germany during the reign of the Nazis. Um, in the United States, there's a strong Jewish population um, in New York. New Jersey, um, and in Ohio, there's a strong <laughs> as well. So what you find is these Jews, though, when they observe the Passover and they, they conclude the Passover meal, they will often end the Passover meal with this phrase, next year in Jerusalem. In other words, it's the heart of the Jewish people to go back to their holy land, their chosen land at some point. And it is encouraged by the rabbis and other religious leaders to try to get back at least once in their lifetime to the, uh, to the holy land. So here's my point on this. Even though Jews had dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, when it came to those major feasts, like uh, Day of Pentecost, they would often travel if they had the financial means to do so, back to Jerusalem. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost is there is a strong presence of Jewish people that are there for the feast of Pentecost, but the Holy spirit comes and they, they go back to where they came from. And so the Jewish people will be in Rome for uh, even long before Paul gets there. There are some that have come to faith. It's not a big uh, amount of people. It's a small amount of people, but they're in Rome 
And so what we find is that after, after Paul does a lot of his missionary work and, and some of those people that were tradespeople, people that traveled to Corinth, to Ephesus and other places and were converted, they went back sometimes to these areas and they began to speak of their faith in Christ. Well, now all of a sudden you have a Jewish group of believers that are still kind of using the synagogue as their meeting place. And you have a group of Gentiles that are starting to come into Rome. And now they're supposed to somehow be brothers and sisters in Christ. So as you might expect, that will not come easily. That will be a difficult transition to be made because there's a lot of racism both ways and that racism needs to be conquered by uh, Christ. So Paul has an answer in this section that, hey, Jews, don't fight for your rights or boast about your Jewish heritage and Gentiles don't brag that you're free from the Torah, the law, but follow Christ's example in his humility, humility and accept one another. So that's what chapters 12 through 16 is ultimately about. And it's still a very applicable section to Romans, uh, maybe not so much for Jew and Gentile, but let's think of it in terms of uh, black and white or, um, or citizen and immigrant. I mean, there's all kinds of areas that this could apply to in our own setting. So th that's kind of the big picture of chapters 12 through 16. Any thoughts there, comments? Okay, so now who are the recipients of this letter? So that's an important question. What we do know is in chapter one, the way Paul addresses this group, he says in verse seven of chapter one, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the primary audience here is those that already believe. They're, they're Christians. They have trusted Christ either as Messiah or as Savior. And what we find is that he addresses them as a group of people. He recognizes them as being a part of the body of Christ, even though he doesn't have a relationship with them. He is not like uh, into writing back to the church at Ephesus or Philippi or Corinth or Thessalonica or any of those because he didn't establish this church. By the time Paul writes the book of Romans, it is believed that the church has had become predominantly Gentile and that there was a small minority of Jewish people. And because of that, there is the need for this reconciliation. Now, one reason there was a small amount of people is we will learn that the Roman Emperor Claudius actually kicked the Jews out of Rome for a while. But 
there was approximately at least 4 million Jews that lived in the Roman Empire. Now that's a big territory that goes all the way from England to India. I mean, that's, it's huge. So 4 million sounds like a lot, but it's really not in, in terms of how vast this territory is. And they are scattered as a result of war and exile, but some of them are business people and they travel and they do trade and that type of thing. And what we find is that um, the trade language in the New Testament era is Greek. Um, the Jews in Judea spoke, spoke primarily Hebrew or Aramaic. So they had to learn the trade language if they dispersed from Judea. Uh, so they had to learn uh, how to get along in foreign land. Uh, there's some speculation as to what they did for a living. Uh, many of them were farmers, some of them artisans that made different things, um, and some of them were business people as well. But um, what we do know is that, this, and this is important here, um, the Jews were expelled from Rome under Claudius. Now, Claudius is one of the Caesars, and we are told this in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. It says in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, there he became acquainted, talking about the Apostle Paul, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So you're familiar with Aquila and Priscilla. I'm sure you've heard of them. They had been expelled from Italy as a result of Claudius Caesar's order to deport all Jews from Rome. So you can imagine if you're Jewish, get out of the country or get out of the city. So what happens is there's this Roman historian by the name of Suetonius that he said the reason that Claudius did this is because of this. He says, as Jews were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Prestus, now, the question is, are those, is that Christ? Were these Jewish believers too aggressive? And in the pagan Rome, finally Claudius said, get out. <laughs> okay. So it appears, though, that after the death of Claudius, the Jews began to, um, to move back to Rome following his death. So it's the population probably is not as big as it was at one time. But you have this remnant, I guess, of Jewish people that want to go back to where they maybe had businesses or land or home or something. And as they do so, and they're, they're Christians, they want to be able to worship Christ. So what are they going to find when they get back there? Well, they're going to find primarily Gentiles, obviously, because there's no Jews um, to go back to. But in chapter 16, there's the naming of all these people. And in the naming of all these people, most theologians think that there were five, maybe six house churches 
that people met in. So don't think of a Roman basilica, okay? Don't think of some place where there are a large amount of people can gather for worship. That's not the case. These are small house churches. He had maybe 20 people, 25 people that might meet in a home. So you're actually looking probably maybe only between 100 and 150 people um, in these house churches in Rome. So it's not real big, but it becomes the basis of the movement there. So before I get to this, um, does all of that make sense? Does that help to kind of, oh gosh, this helps, gives me a setting now for the book of Romans and what Paul is actually trying to accomplish here. Any thoughts? You won't get that at the beginning of the book. And by the time you get to the end of the book, you might lose sight of this. Because let's face it, by the time you get to the end of the book and you get to chapter 16, you go, well, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> Why should I even bother reading about this, right? So, um, so there's a whole listing of names, but there's one. And it's in chapter 16, verse one, there's one that's utmost important. And her name is Phoebe. I want you to take a look. Chapter 16, verse one. It says here, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Let that sink in for a moment. Paul is entrusting this letter to a woman. Not just any woman. This is a Gentile woman. And she is a wealthy individual. And that kind of is intimidating in the first century in a patriarchal type of setup. So the first observation is the mailman of this letter or the male woman of this letter is an individual that helped underwrite a lot of Paul's ministry. So take a look at some of these points here. Paul, the patriarchal Jewish male, asks a wealthy, influential female not only to deliver his prized letter, but to read it to these five or six house churches. And he's asking them to receive her as they would him. Secondly, um, the letters in Paul's world, as they are delivered, were the embodied and scripted presence of the letter writer. So think of a king or a Caesar that writes something, puts his insignia ring on it. It's as if he's there communicating that. So just keep that as part of the cultural uh, dynamic. And thirdly, he chooses a woman to embody this letter, which means 
the face of the Apostle Paul is to be experienced in the person of Phoebe. So any other time Paul could not be somewhere, who did he send? Timothy? Titus? Some Jewish um, uh, men like Timothy? Um, sometimes they might not be Jewish. But it was all kind of male construction. Here, though, he really steps out. And you want to talk, talk about kind of shaking things up. He really does so by sending Phoebe to Rome. Does that surprise you or is that? Yeah. Okay. So that's a... Um, that's a good question. I can't recall off the top of my head. He meant, uh, Mark just asked, is Phoebe mentioned any other place in the book? And, um, I don't recall that she is, but I'm don't, don't bet on that. Okay. So <laughs> again, see, that's the deal. It is something that is so unorthodox in the way Paul approaches this letter. You would think that that would be one of the first few verses out of the gate, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Except Phoebe, uh, you know, she's bringing this letter. Does, doesn't until the end. Okay. So the question could be asked, why Phoebe? He calls her a sister, a Gentile convert from a pagan background. Her name actually means Titaness, which is a pagan god. The metaphor sister um, means something very important. It, it, it's her identity in this ancient world. And I think the point is Paul is going to embody in her what he's trying to accomplish among the Jews and the Gentiles. And that is in Christ, there's a siblingship. There's not a pecking order based on social status uh, in the position of a person in society or what they have in their bank account. So, Paul's creating a new society of siblings, brothers and sisters, and he is trying to obliterate this inbred uh, part of the air they breathe structure in the Roman Empire where privilege and power are elevated and those that aren't a part of that caste system are looked down upon. Yeah, okay, Essie says, so Phoebe is exhibit A. That's exactly right. Yeah, this is the way it looks, right. Other comments? So what is her role? Notice here in these couple of verses, number one, she's called a deacon. Interesting. Um, this idea of deacon here. Uh, could mean something as simple as servant, um, but it could rec be recognized, and I, I think that's 
why it's translated this way is she had some formal role or some formal position in Paul's ministry. So the term is diakonos, which is a general term for servant. It's the same term that's used in chapter 15, verse 8, when uh, Paul says, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the uh, Jews, a diakonos of the Jews. But here, it seems as though she is part of the team that Paul depends upon. She's also a woman of wealth. It's found in that word, the benefactor of many people. Paul is a recipient of that generosity. And it's very likely that she's going to um, make a hefty donation toward his desire to go to Spain, too. Thirdly, she's the letter carrier. And uh, she delivers the letter and she's going to circulate among these house churches and she's going to read um, this letter. And she has the fortunate or unfortunate task of answering the questions that are raised in the letter, which are numerous. There's a lot of questions. So my feeling is Paul just didn't hand this letter over to an incompetent person. He didn't hand it over to someone who might stumble through what he's wrote in the first section of Romans. So she, she has a sharp mind as well. And uh, she's going to be able to represent Paul and answer questions that uh, these believers might have. Thoughts? I have a thought. Um, yes. At that time, a lot of people couldn't read. So yeah she she had to be um unique in that she was not only that but she was educated as well and mm -hmm. to be able to read his message and then be tasked with the him representing him and answering any questions or yeah. you know so i'm wondering what her background is i wish i knew more about her yeah i don't you know i don't know i mean that's um what was her education? Not sure. Obviously, she knew Greek. She could read Greek. The book of Romans is written in Greek. Um, yeah, that's a great point, Kay. I, you know, I'd, it'd be nice to know a little bit more. But I, I think Paul is more concerned at this point about who she's, she's coming to. And that's why he's going to list all these names here. And trust me, I'm not going to read through all of them. But I want to just kind of point out here uh, several things. Now, the first thing to notice in verses 3 through 16, you have all of these greetings. Okay, so who might be a part of these home churches? Well, I've listed for you all kinds of people that might be represented in the Roman Empire. You have immigrants uh, that are looking for residence. You have slaves that were captured in military campaigns. You have merchants um, that are buying and selling. You have wealthy people looking maybe for uh, more status by the purchase of land or uh, uh, different pieces of property. Um, there were intellectuals as well that uh, would pursue 
uh, philosophy and conversation. And of course, there were the, was the political side as well, Rome being the capital of the Roman Empire. So it is believed that these house churches probably had a mixture of some different types of people in it. Some wealthy, some poor, um, some uh, Gentile, some Jew, uh, obviously some women, some men, that type of thing. So the first observation is there's probably a wide variety of different types of people that have to get along if they are going to be the living demonstration of how Christ reconciles different kinds of people together. So the house churches in Rome um, is an interesting study in itself. So here's the Tiber River that runs down through Rome on this little uh, map here. Most, uh, most rivers or most waterways or most bodies of waters are where there's a lot of business, okay? A lot of people find employment along that. So um, it is most probable, although we don't know this for certain, it's most probable that um, the, the synagogues that were in the Roman uh, territory there probably were scattered somewhere along the, the river here because that's where people were employed, um, that type of thing. Um, and where there's employment, you have a, a denser population, but you also have the poor that work the land. You have um, immigrants that are looking for work. You know, a lot of the same things that we see in, in our day and age as well. So there's a harbor here that's called uh, Trastevere, uh, and uh, it's a port at the area of the Tiber River here. And so there'd be a lot of travelers that would come into Rome along that side of the ocean. Um, if that's the case, if that's where a lot of the synagogues were initially, that's probably also um, where a lot of the house churches probably uh, settled as well. We don't know this for certain, but that's the speculation. So you notice this second red point here, the Christians of Rome were located among the poor uh, with possible connections with some high status individuals that were using the trades, um, it, you know, part of their business as well. So most scholars think that by the time Paul wrote this letter, though, Nero had new hope for trade and jobs, and he reduced taxes actually to attract more people to come to the area and to help build his uh, projects. And one of the things that he was involved in building was called the circus. And the circus um, originally started with Caligula, uh, but he completed it. And it was, it was sort of like our theater district. It's where a lot of the performances uh, would be, uh, you know, acting, singing, chariot racing, different things like that would be done. So employment could be found in this area as he built a wooden amphitheater. Don't think of the Colosseum in Rome, but think of an amphitheater 
and uh, archaeologists have believed that it was constructed on a, a field called Mars Field. But here's one thing that he did. You see this bridge here that goes over the Tiber River. It was one way to get people to get over into where the circus was so that they could see a lot of the performances as well. So there's still some, uh, some of these standing archeological uh, elements here that can be found. And of course, that would be a fascinating trip to go to Rome and see a lot of the, the Colosseum and a lot of all those type of things that, um, you know, so you could, yeah, I mean, it probably would be unbelievable to see a lot of that stuff. So it's like Ephesus, that'd be a neat place to go to because there's still a lot of remains that are, what, what's that? What'd you say, Bud? I said it was. Yeah, yeah. So it was pretty, ama it was pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah, so, so anyways, so these house churches are somewhere in this vicinity. That's and and that's probably where Phoebe traveled, um, and maybe she even used the Tiber River to travel on to to get to some of these uh, places. Okay, thoughts? Is Mars Hill in proximity to Mars Field? No, that's a different thing. Um, okay. Mars, Mars Hill is in Athens. That's in Greece. Okay. Yeah, that, that's an entirely different thing. But it's named after a god, Mars. Right. So it's like our Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. It, you know, it pops up a number of places. There's probably uh, every. Yeah, every city has a uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Boulevard. So it's it's that kind of thing so all right so what might be a typical household i've already said this we don't need to spend a lot of time don't think big churches don't think stone cathedrals um don't think of that at all just think of small house churches uh, a minimum amount of people at least at this point some of those larger cathedrals will be built later, several hundred years later, when Constantine uses Christianity as the state religion. That's in 314 AD, and that's when a lot of that type of construction began to take place. So instead of a building, think of this more as a community of siblings um, rather than a sanctuary with a steeple, okay? So now come back to chapter 16. Now, we think that this can break down into probably at least five house churches, maybe six. And here's, I'm just going to kind of show you how, how a lot of scholars determine this. Okay, so verse three. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. So he had some history with Aquila and Priscilla. They originally from Rome. They were kicked out of Rome by Claudius, and they, uh, they meet up with the Apostle Paul. They come to faith, um, and, and he says this about them. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. They were pillar people 
They, I mean, they just were instrumental in, in Paul's work. Um, and then it says here in verse five, notice what it says, greet also the church that meets at their house. Okay, so the first household church is probably Priscilla and Aquila after they come back to Rome. Then he talks about greeting my dear friend, uh, was who was the uh, Epinetus, uh, who was the first convert to Christ in the providence of Asia. And then he begins listing different people here. But I want you to come down to verse 10. He says, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test, and greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. The household of Aristobulus is not his wife and his kids. It's probably the house church that meets in his residence. You have the same thing in verse 11. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew, and greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. So right there, you have three that are most probable household churches. Then verse 14, when you jump down, it says, uh, have fun with that first name, Asyncritus, uh, Phlegon and Hermes and Patrobas and so forth, and others and other brothers and sisters with them. You see that? That's kind of a, 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 a hint, a clue there, that that's probably another house church. And then finally, in verse 15, um, greet Philologus and Julia and Nerus and his sister and all the Lord's people who are with them. Another clue. So my point is there's probably represented in chapter 16, five house churches, not very big, probably totaling maybe 100, 150 people at the very most. And um, he greets them. And what he does is he greets them um, through Phoebe, which is interesting. So there's three forms of greeting. Uh, when Paul writes, he will say, I greet you. But here, this is in the second person. I'm greeting these people through you. And the you is Phoebe. And then there's the third person that another person greets you through me. Uh, that is a possibility. There's some additional names that are listed in verse 20 of chapter 16. He says, and following the God of peace will soon cross Satan under uh, your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greeting. Um, so there's a, there's a form of the third person greeting. So Timothy is sending his greetings through Paul, who's giving it through Phoebe. <laughs> All right. So, um, so these people are being greeted um, that um, in this section here uh, are not necessarily the um, direct recipients of the letter. Um, he, uh, he mentioned some people that probably the letter is not written to them individually. That's maybe a better way of putting it. It's written to these groups of people. And it's this idea, you see where he keeps talking about peace. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon cross Satan under your feet. 
Um, so here's a clue as to what's going on. Verse 17. And it's an exhortation. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So as I conclude our topic for tonight, which is just kind of an introduction to this first block, chapters 12 through 16, it's he tells them, watch out for those who are creating divisions and um, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I think that's kind of in the back of his mind here, that this disunity will eventually cause um, this group of churches to really struggle to survive. So I just kind of put down some final few questions here. After all Paul said, there's still some questions that remain. Number one, will they refrain from pleasing themselves in order to build up the community? Two, will they join Paul in support of his mission to go to Spain? And then thirdly, he will beg for the prayers of the Roman churches uh, as he prays that the God of peace may be with them. So there's still some things that are kind of up in the air at this point. Um, and, you know, with that as a backdrop, I think it will help us understand what Paul is trying to accomplish with the plethora of information and even complicated things that are found in the book of Romans. Any questions, thoughts, comments? So where is this letter? Is that what No, he's talking about the whole letter of Romans, the whole book, the whole book. Yeah, yeah. So the question by Mark was, well, what is the letter that he is sending through Phoebe? Um, and he asked, is, is it what he says in verse 17? I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division. No, he's talking about the whole epistle. The whole book is his letter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's a long letter. Yep. Thoughts, comments? Hopefully this will help you down the line. And I think after we go through some of these sections of Romans, I think what you're going to find is when you read the book, you go, oh, now this is jumping out, even in the early chapters. I didn't see that before. It's gonna, it, it's gonna surface uh, and you'll be able to have new eyes, I think, to, to see some of that stuff as we come across it. Any other comments? No, I think we're good. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else? No, the, the first chapter you mentioned earlier that the I, I think you said that the for the most part the Jews were had left Rome for a while. Yes. So the first, the first few chapters, of course, do a lot of discussing of how the Roma, you know, of the of the issues of being Jewish and not being, you know, and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. and not being Jewish and, and, the, and the positions they hold with God mm -hmm. and, 
And, and so who was he, if the Jewish people were mostly, they'd left, who, why did he, why was that such a... No, they're, they're, already, they're already back in Rome by the time he writes this. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Romans is one of his um, last epistles. So, I mean, it's written much later than some of the smaller epistles that we know Paul wrote. So, okay, so they were there, okay. I mean, Romans is written after all of his missionary journeys are done in the book of Acts, and, and um, it's before his arrest. That's really his first time to Rome is when he's arrested at the end of the book of Acts, and he's taken to Rome for trial. But, um, but, but it's very late in comparison. And so this window, that's a great question. This window when the Jews were out of Rome was only the period of time between when Claudius kicked them out and when Claudius died. So you're only talking a, a, a number of years. You know, it's not like it's a century or anything. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a short, a fairly short period of time. Okay. Anybody else? This is kind of a, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, Beth, what were you going to say? No, this is not one of his prison epistles. So uh, Beth just asked, is this one of Paul's prison epistles? No, um, uh, some of those, the smaller letters uh, that he has, uh, Ephesians, uh, Philippians and Colossians and Philemon are the prison epistles, okay? But you still have a number of epistles like First and Second Thessalonians that predate, you know, uh, his arrest and stuff. Yeah, Kay, you had a question or comment? Well, this is kind of an aside, but in like First Corinthians, um, he says uh, the Church of Asia greet you, Aquila and Priscilla greet you. Is, it, is that an, from their home church? Is he just saying? He, um, is, had, you broke up there, Kay. Can you say it again, please? Did they move home churches or is he saying from their home church in no, I, I think I think that's where they traveled to after they were kicked out of Rome. Oh, okay. And then they went so, back to Rome? And then they went back to Rome, correct. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they were, they were separated uh, from their their city for a while and it's believed that they traveled to Corinth uh, as uh, and somewhere along the, uh, the road they met up with the Apostle Paul they they got acquainted with him oh, okay great question all right well um, we will uh, we'll be in chapters 12 through 16 again next week and we're going to kind of look at some of the stuff there uh, so if you have a chance to read just chapters 12 through 16 of Romans, well, we already looked at chapter 16 kind of tonight, but if you have a chance to read chapters 12 through 15, um, that's kind of the section we'll look at next Wednesday. So it might be helpful to take a quick look at it. So, all right. All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks for being with us tonight. Thank we'll you. See you. Bye-bye. See you later.